70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. KBS World Radio. Happy 70th birthday! I certainly have not been with KBS World Radio for 70 years, but I remember the first time I tuned into my very first KBS World Radio program. It was 2010, which was 13 years ago. I don't remember who the host was at the time for K-pop Connection, but the DJ read my first message ever on air, and I ended up winning a prize. Back then, we did not have social media the way we do now. Luckily, now we get to leave messages on the various programs' social media pages. I've shared so many stories and moments with former DJ Angie Park on K-Pop Connection, whom I get to call Nuna now. Of course, now I get to call DJ Brian Hyung as well. And whenever I feel down or lack energy, Park Jung-hyun Nuna's encouraging words on One Fine Day with Lena Park recharges me with positive energy. Thank you to all the staff and radio hosts for building a bridge to connect Korea with the rest of the world. KBS World Radio, sing you chukahamnida. 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. It's Friday the 6th of October and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon jang The National Assembly voted down Supreme Court Chief Justice nominee Lee Gun-yong. This marks the first time that a Chief Justice nomination has been rejected in 35 years. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. The OECD recently forecast that South Korea's economy this year will grow less than the OECD average for the third year in a row. We'll discuss whether the nation is now in a slow growth era for weekly economy review. And then coming up for Movie Spotlight, one of our critics will be joining us from the Busan International Film Festival to give us the lowdown on the event this year. Let's begin. Great 24. The opposition's strong National Assembly voted on Friday to reject Lee Gun-yong as the new Supreme Court Chief Justice. It extends the vacancy in the top post, left empty after the previous Chief Justice, uh, Kim Myung-soo's six-year term, ended on September 24th. For this and our other major headlines of the day, we have in the studio with us Kim In-kyung, our Deputy Editor-in-Chief of KBS World's English News Service. In-kyung, hello. Hello, Chang So, Lee Gun-yong served as a judge for three decades and was nominated for the top court chief position in August before the National Assembly voted him down during Friday's plenary session. Can you break down the numbers for us? Sure. Of the 295 lawmakers present, 118 voted for Lee's appointment, 175 voted against, and two abstained. The vote went along party lines with the opposition DP and the Justice Party separately announcing before the session that they adopted party platforms to reject E. The PPP also announced that it would unanimously vote for the nominee, but with the DP holding 168 seats, the Justice Party 6, and the PPP 111, it was ensured even before the vote began that E would be rejected. 
This marks the first time that the National Assembly voted down a Supreme Court Chief Justice nominee in 35 years since the 1988 nomination of Chung Gi Sung. So, why was the DP opposed to E's appointment? The DP opposed E, citing a number of allegations. Chief among them was that he underreported some 990 million won, around 740,000 US dollars in assets he and his family had owned for years, in an annual asset disclosure of high-ranking government officials during his term as a high court judge. He was also criticized for past rulings that included sentence reductions for sexual crime offenders and perpetrators of domestic violence, and he faced accusations of having personal connections with President Yoon Suk-yeol, which he has denied. This means that the president will have to restart the nomination process, leaving a vacancy in the position for at least another month. So, what was the reaction from the presidential office? Yong San said it is extremely regrettable that Parliament has rejected a fine and competent judge, causing a long-term vacancy in the judiciary. In a briefing held shortly after the vote, presidential spokesperson Lee Dong said the result was due to unilateral resistance from the opposition camp. He says the opposition is taking the people's rights hostage and engaging in political strife. Currently, An Chol Sang, the most senior of the 13 Supreme Court justices, is filling in as acting chief justice. In another example of the deep divide in the National Assembly, the confirmation hearing for Gender Equality and Family Minister nominee Kim Heng fell through on Thursday night as she walked out in the middle of the hearing, along with ruling party lawmakers. It was a dramatic turn of events. What happened exactly? The rival parties locked horns into the night over the nominee's failure to submit additional material to the Gender Equality and Family Committee. Opposition lawmakers asked the nominee to submit materials regarding the cryptocurrency wallet of a company she had led, and details of shares held by a daughter of Social News, the operator of the online media outlet WikiTree, which Kim founded. But the nominee rejected the requests. Democratic Party Representative Kwon In-suk, the chair of the committee, criticized Kim's attitude and suggested she withdraw her candidacy. This prompted the nominee and the People Power Party lawmakers on the committee to leave the room in protest. The confirmation hearing resumed after a brief suspension, but the nominee and the PPP lawmakers did not return. The committee resumed the hearing this morning with only DP lawmakers present, but Kwon adjourned the session shortly after, saying that the committee will wait until midnight for Kim and PPP lawmakers to attend. Meanwhile, the trial for Democratic Party leader Lee Jae-myung began on Friday on corruption charges linked to the Daejeon-dong and Wide development scandals. So, what did he say about the charges in court? He flatly denied any corruption in the development projects at the Seoul Central District Court. He claimed that while serving as the mayor of Songnam, where the projects were carried out, he had not once provided favors upon request by private investors. He said investors could be heard in audio filings talking about how he despised them. He criticized the prosecution for conducting what he said were hundreds of raids during the probe, adding that the search and seizure operations will likely continue so long as he is alive. The next hearing is scheduled for October 17th. To remind our listeners of the charges, E was indicted on March on suspicion of giving favors to private investors in the Daejeon-dong project while serving as mayor of Songnam, costing the city developer some 490 billion won, or around 363 million US dollars, in damages. He's also accused of abusing insider information about the Daejeon-dong and Wide projects, helping private developers reap profits of around 789 billion won. And 21 billion won from the respective projects. Let's turn to news now from Hangzhou. So, what's the latest from the Asian Games? 
South Korea won gold in both the women and men's team archery. For the women, it was the seventh consecutive time that they defended their title since 1998. The trio's resume is stunning. An San is a triple crown winner at the 2020 Olympics. Chemi Sun is a gold medalist from the 2016 Olympics. And Im Xian is this year's world champion. They beat China 5-3 in the recurve women's team finals on Friday. On the men's side, it was the first time in 13 years that they won gold in team archery. Meanwhile, the South Korean men's baseball team have secured their place in the final. They'll face Chinese Taipei in the gold medal game on Saturday. That's right. South Korea beat China 8-1 in their last Super Round game on Friday. Team Korea will now seek to recover its honor after suffering a crushing 4-0 defeat against Chinese Taipei on Tuesday. Finally, a recent poll showed that U.S. citizens are almost evenly divided on the mobilization of U.S. troops to defend South Korea in the event of a North Korean invasion. Can you tell us more about this poll? Yes, according to the survey commissioned by the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, 50% of respondents supported the idea of committing U.S. soldiers to defend South Korea if it was invaded by the North, while 49% opposed it. The percentage in favor is the lowest since 2017, when it stood at 62%. The poll indicated a decline in support for military engagement on the Korean Peninsula in the event of an emergency. Despite Washington's commitment to strengthening its extended deterrence capabilities to defend South Korea from Pyongyang's advancing nuclear and missile threats, the results showed a partisan disparity, with 57% of Democrats surveyed expressing support for U.S. involvement, while 46% of Republicans agreed, although 64% of all respondents were in favor of stationing U.S. troops in South Korea. The poll conducted by market research firm Ipsos from September 7th to 18th had a margin of error of plus or minus two percentage points. That's all for our news briefing today. In Young, thank you for those updates. Thank you. The latest economic forecast released by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development last month has South Korea seeing growth this year below the average of other OECD members. If it does turn out that way, it would be the third year in a row that Korea's growth is below the OECD average, sparking fears of a new normal. Meanwhile, the Asian Development Bank has forecast an even lower growth projection for Korea, further fueling such concerns. To get some expert analysis on these predictions for today's weekly economy review, we're joined on the line today by Daniel Yu, Head of Global Asset Allocation at Uanta Securities. Mr. Yu, hello and thank you for joining us. Hello, thank you for having me. Okay, so if you look at the specific figures, the OECD in its interim world economic outlook in September projected the nation's economy to grow 1.5% this year. The estimate remained stagnant from the June outlook, but projections for other major economies rose. Meanwhile, the Asian Development Bank last month predicted a 1.3% rise, unchanged from its previous report in July. So, Mr. Yu, what did you make of these projections? Well, as you said, the overall growth rates are much slower than the OECD average. But if you think about it, I think that Korea already entered 
a bit of an advanced economic uh, phase already. So the overall growth rate will be probably below the global average because if you look at the um, the advanced countries, uh, overall growth rates are below the OECD average. So I think that number is probably natural to see in such. Of course, we do have some issues uh, because our dependency on Chinese export uh, is quite large, and we are not seeing as uh, fast recovery of Chinese economy as we hope to see. Uh, so clearly that is causing the export number rising in a, a, a pace, but uh, not necessarily to the uh, level that we appreci- uh, we like. Uh, so uh, obviously the slowing down is an issue uh, in terms of the growth rate projections, but not as much as we should be too concerned. I think that we need to take this as uh, some of the uh, changes that we might need to ha- uh, create uh, in regards to the diversification of exports, as well as uh, various investment in innovations and technologies and uh, promoting uh, some improvement in the productivities. But anyway, uh, yes, as you said, uh, the numbers are below expectation and it is uh, much below the OECD numbers. Right, so you're saying it's part, perhaps part of the path for South Korea as it uh, has become an advanced economy. But still, if we look uh, at the recent figures, South Korea posted lower growth rates than the OECD average for the past two years. The country growth uh, posted 4.3% in 2021 against the uh, average of 5.8%. Uh, and the last year, the local economy expanded by 2.6%. Uh, that's to the OECD average of 2.9%. Uh, and according to the OECD's projection this year, South Korea is also likely to post a lower growth rate than Japan for the first time since the foreign currency crisis. So, as I said, some people are concern, but you're saying uh, that it's not too much of a concern for now? Well, I mean, it is a concern, uh, clearly. Uh, If you look at the uh, overall South Korea's growth rate, uh, it is coming down to below OECD average. Uh, But uh, I guess the people are taking this as a a concern because the growth rate is uh, even below this plan. Um, But if you think about Japan, the overall economic growth rate has been below OECD growth rate for decades, um, and, and therefore the overall percentage of the GDP as a percentage of total of Japan has slowed down significantly to the size that is only about 4% of global GDP. So, uh, yes, I think that that is a concern that the Korea is facing a growth rate going down to the level that. Uh, that is related to what's happening to the population growth as well as productivity growth and also uh, continuation of the rise of the consumer debt. Uh, yes, so that is an issue, but we can't just compare that as a Japan versus Korea, uh, I guess, uh, just on one-year number. Um, but in any case, uh, we, do cons- we do have a worries that uh, needs- there are things needs to be changed uh, in terms of the overall public sector debt level, as well as government support and uh, the improvement in terms of the innovation and technology, as well as productivities. Uh, and one thing that is positive is, is that the growth rate is expected to pick up in 2024, 
uh, with the global economy might be showing some recoveries. Um, so yes, it's, it's a partially is a concern, uh, but we shouldn't compare it just to the Japan. Uh, and also we have to look at the overall structure that needs to be uh, taken care of in order to see further improvement in growth rate. Experts are also saying that the recent slowdown is not temporary and that the domestic economy is likely to have entered uh, an era of low growth. What's your take on this uh, argument? Uh, I think that it is a uh, concern because if you look at Korea, it is highly uh, related to the export and also um, it, it is sensitive to the interest rate uh, and also it is interested to the energy prices. Uh, so if we look at the overall energy prices, uh, it has risen quite significantly, and it, that reduces the uh, overall uh, growth rate of Korea, because obviously Korea has high dependency on uh, energy, particularly the oil. Uh, and also, with the U.S. continue to raise interest rate, um, we do get affected quite uh, negatively uh, as the interest rates are higher on the basis of a high debt on private sector. Uh, so if you look at the both side of the corporate as well as the consumers, if you add that up, uh, it is significantly high at uh, over 200 percent plus. So uh, clearly that is a causing a concern. Um, and so that's why I guess we are in an era of uh, higher uh, uh, risk as well as a lower growth rate. Uh, however, though, uh, we do expect that there will be some changes. Um, there will be probably uh, rising interest rate might be slowing down in the future and maybe uh, gradually go down for U.S. Um, over the next two years of period. And also, uh, if we look at the oil side, uh, we do think that the fast changes to the electric vehicle, EV vehicles, as well as the uh, renewable energies. Uh, we do think that the supply side is in a good picture where price is expected to fall over the next probably several uh, years. Uh, of course, for the timing, we can't see that. It's exactly mm. in opposite directions, a rising interest rate as well as a rise in energy prices. Uh, so uh, that is a causing uh, uh, that such uncertainties. However, though, if we look into the future, so we think that things will change. So therefore, uh, growth rate should be picking up uh, and that's why the number that we see right now is probably the low area of the economic growth rate for Korea. Right. So while there are risks and concerns, it's not all doom and gloom, uh, you're saying. Uh, so then let's look for the remainder of this year then. What are the major challenges of facing the South Korean economy for this year? For example, uh, according to Statistics Korea on Thursday, the inflation rate jumped over the mid-3% range last month to post the sharpest growth in nearly half a year. How much of a concern is inflation at the moment? Well, I think that those are all the major issues. Uh, the rise in oil prices will affect negatively on the uh, import prices. Also, if you look at the uh, Korean one currency, uh, it has depreciated quite significantly. And of course, that will have uh, higher implication for inflations. Uh, and I think that um, the the household debt level, which has reached well above 100% of GDP, is ca causing concerns uh, for weaker demand. So all that means is that the currency weakness is affecting energy prices. Weakness, uh, energy price rise will be affecting negatively to the economic growth rate as well. So 
those are the challenges. Uh, I think that uh, the global economic uh, uh, side, there's much, not much we can do. But as far as what we can uh, do is how to tackle the issue of the household debt level and also uh, the export-related uh, side of it, hmm. meaning that uh, we, we, could, we could try to create further diversification of the exports uh, and continue to focus on the uh, growth segmentations, which is the uh, um, HBM semiconductor side or electrical uh, side. Um, so I think those are the things that we need to tackle, you know, being but yes, as you said, uh, there are major challenges facing uh, as far as Korean economy is concerned. Can you expand a bit more on uh, how we can tackle these uh, challenges? Uh, what can be done? Is it uh, the government that needs to step in more, do you think? Well, I think so. Because first of all, uh, we need to see uh, quite sizable improvement in productivity level. Uh, so we need to support the innovation and entrepreneurship to create uh, new jobs and improvement in the productivities. Uh, I think that uh, there's continuation of uncertainty that's happening and corporates are not spending as much in terms of that investment side. Uh, so I think the government support is necessary in order for that to happen. If you look at U.S., uh, that's what government is doing, uh, creating IRA uh, support as well as the semiconductor support. Uh, so clearly, uh, the innovation entrepreneurship uh, uh, supported by the government side as well. Uh, and also, I think that there's one uh, area that government can do is to try to help out to reducing the household debt level. Uh, without government support, that would be very difficult. Of course, you can't just do a helicopter money, meaning that just giving the money to uh, consumers as we, we've done it in the uh, period of COVID-19 era. Uh, but rather, we need to create some kind of structural improvement, uh, meaning that uh, give some kind of tax deductions for the income uh, and also uh, try to create some of the uh, regulatory environment that is supportive of the uh, improvement in terms of the capability of individuals, uh, etc. So I think that uh, clearly, as you said, um, there, there are things that can be done. But that can be only done with the government support, with the right policies and right structure. Uh, I think that Korea right now has uh, used the Korean individuals at that level too much to support the growth rate. And we need to reduce that by uh, applying the uh, fiscal side to be expended. Uh, in terms of the monetary side, it's tougher for Korean government to do it much because uh, the gap between U.S. and Korea's interest rate is, uh, has risen quite significantly. So there's a difficulty to lower the interest rate in a such environment. Uh, we already have a much lower interest rate environment than U.S. as it is. So at the monetary policy side, it will be difficult. So uh, once again, the most important factor is what government does using fiscal policies and regulatory environment. We'll have to wrap it up there. We were speaking to Daniel Yu from Uanta Securities. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index gained 5.13 points, or 0.21%, on Friday to close the week at 2,408.73. The Sekhavi Kosdaq also jumped. 
climbing 15.37 points, or 1.92%, to close at 816.39. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 0.61 against the US dollar, closing the day at 1,349.91. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to Korea Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that, we have with us in the studio news editor Daniel Chair. Daniel, hello. Hello there, Jungle. Okay, let's dive into the first story. What do you have for us? The Seoul Metropolitan Government announced on Thursday its plan to launch 199-seater commuter water buses on the Han River. Around 10 water buses or river buses will be introduced next September to operate between Kimpo City in Gyeonggi Province and the capital city at 15-minute intervals. Okay, so this is a new type of public transport for Seoulites. So the Seoul mayor had introduced the idea a while back, actually, but it looks like more concrete details have come out now then. So walk us through how these uh, water buses will operate and what they will look like. So they will be smaller than the current cruise ships, of course, sailing along the Han River, but they will be over two times faster. The buses will also include a cafeteria so commuters can eat on their way to work, which is very important because people <laughs> tend to skip their breakfast and they have no time. The fare will be similar to bus fares. It will not exceed the 3,001 range, around two U.S. dollars. The idea is to utilize the huge river while also giving commuters another way to comfortably go to work to avoid being squeezed into the scans of mm. subways and buses. Yes, any sort of uh, new options to ease the crushing rush hours in the capital will be welcome, especially coming from Kimpo. But I understand that actually Seoul City had a river taxi service in the past that ended up uh, being rather unsuccessful and essentially forgotten uh, over the years. Something that they wish they would forget and be left in the dark, but <laughs> it happened. They did, experts believe, many turned their back on the water taxis due to lack of infrastructure. Uh, to enable passengers to transfer to ground transportation, that is, to overcome this problem, the city plans on installing docks at parts of river where there are subway stations nearby. It is also considering providing its public bicycle rental service mm. near the docks as well. Such services are working in other capital cities across the world, of course. For example, in uh, London and Bangkok. I understand that actually Mayor Orr said he was inspired by the Thames River bus in London. So it'll be interesting to see if it will catch on again here. Uh, what will the routes look like? Yes, there will be two routes in the beginning, one from the Arahan River Kabmundak in Kimpo to Yaido in Seoul. The journey will take around 30 minutes. The other routes include various locations within the capital, such as near Tangsan, Yoinaru, and Duksam stations on Line 2 and 5-7 respectively, as well as Oksu station on Line 3. Details will be confirmed by December. Okay, so something to look forward to next year. Let's uh, move on to our second story now. What do you have for us? South Korea's pro baseball has gained global recognition, not just for the level of talent and competition and the amazing delicacies available at the stadiums, but for <laughs> the contagious enthusiasm in stadiums as well as the devoted fans. The level of their loyalty was demonstrated clearly days after the LG Twins claimed the KBO regular season crown on Wednesday. Yes, I believe this story is about sports memorabilia. They can be extremely valuable to fans, of course, but uh, this time we're talking about something different, not signed balls, uniforms, 
posters or cards, right? Yes, we're talking about something that's becoming a rarity these days in this digital era. We're talking newspapers. Mm. According to some of the most popular second-hand platforms and services in the nation, by Thursday, newspapers with the front-page headlines covering the LG Twins' first pennant win in 29 years became a hot commodity among fans. Papers that usually sell for around 1,001 or 70 cents have ballooned up to 10 times their original price. And many fans are looking to buy not just one or two copies, as many as they can get their hands on. <laughs> Various social media sites exploded with fans looking to make these purchases as well. One person wrote in social media after searching half a dozen convenience stores and newsstands, the search turned out unsuccessful. Yes, uh, as you said, it's very retro, a very analog souvenir in today's digital world. But I guess it's for fans eager to prove how they've stayed loyal uh, to the team through thick and thin. Yes. Uh, for instance, actress Kim so posted a picture of herself holding the newspaper, headlining LG's regular season crowning glory on social media. She even put up pictures of baseballs with the NBC Cheongnyong logo, which is the team's former identity from decades back. And many other fans shared their stories of the club's official YouTube channel. One fan has been rooting for LG since 1994 as high school freshman, and now their son is a high school freshman. One person has even created a sticker to mark the historic accomplishment and announced online plans to give away 2,900 of them to mark 20, the, the first accomplishment in 29 long years. Yes, I'm sure the fans will enjoy themselves for a while, but uh, not too long, of course, because the Korean series now awaits if they do win that as well. Uh, I imagine the newspapers will sell out even faster and uh, they, they will go for even higher prices on second-hand good platforms. OK, let's uh, move on to our final story. What else has been trending today? Well, we're talking about a retired Austrian nurse who spent 39 years taking care of leprosy patients on Sorog Island here in Korea, who passed away late last month. Margaret Pisarek died at a hospital in the Austrian city of Innsbruck, and we learned on Friday that she had asked that her body be donated for medical research. Wow. So even after her death, she's trying to help others. Uh, for those who are not familiar with her story, can you tell us about how she lived? Yes, she has been an inspiration and provided hope for many others in pain and despair. Born in 1935 in Poland, she graduated from a nursing school in Innsbruck before coming to Korea in 1966 to work at the National Sorok Island Hospital. There, she helped those with Hansen's disease for nearly four decades without pay. She left Korea in 2005 due to deteriorating health, leaving a short letter saying that she was afraid of not being able to help others and that she did not want to burden the people in the hospital. At around that time, she expressed her wish to have her body donated for medical research after death to her relatives. That's according to her family on Friday. The Korean government and the Korean people have acknowledged her contributions. Even as we speak, I understand that people are lining up to pay their respects to uh, one of the uh, angels of Sarok Island. Yes, uh, Pisra came to Korea with another nurse from Austria, Marianne Steger, to serve the patients together. Korea conferred the two former nurses with medals several times and gave them honorary citizenships. The South Jala provincial government has been working on a campaign to nominate them for the Nobel Peace Prize. Two altars are set up, one at the Marianne and Margaret Memorial Hall in the town of Toyangup, Kuhungun in South Jala province. Another at the Korean Nursing Association centers in Seoul. People can gather at the two places to honor Pesarek until Sunday, and the lines are pretty long. Yes, an incredible figure indeed. Okay, that's all the time we have for today's Korea Trending. Daniel, thank you for those stories, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me.
We've come now to Movie Spotlight, our Friday feature where we usually review some of the latest releases at the Korean box office and online. But this week, we have a Busan International Film Festival special. The annual event kicked off on Wednesday with the world premiere of Because I Hate Korea. And joining us via video today from the event is film critic Jason Besherface to tell us all about it. We connect with him now. Jason, hello. Hello, Jango. Live from Busan. Indeed. Well, thank you for breaking away from everything uh, that's going on there to speak to us today. We really appreciate it. So, yes, the uh, Busan International Film Festival, or BIF, as it's affectionately known, is in full swing. A total of 209 films from 69 countries will be screened. That's actually significantly less from previous years, and it seems to be partly down to some controversies the festival has faced. So, Jason, can you tell us about that? And what do you make of the atmosphere there now that it has started? Has the uh, turmoil, the internal turmoil, affected uh, the event at all? Well, actually, it feels pretty pretty normal down here. Uh, there's a good atmosphere, you know, being in screenings earlier today and yesterday. There's a lot of people around, a lot of people waiting to get tickets. It doesn't feel any different. So credit to the organizers, actually, for, for putting on a festival that uh, is, you know, it's, it's, it's working well. It's operating, you know, it's, it's operating normally uh, and... Uh, but that being said, though, there, there are things happening that have happened behind the scenes that have uh, concerning for, for those in the industry. Just, just to kind of give you some uh, kind of context here, in May, uh, the festival decided to kind of split the, the kind of the, the, the top role of the festival into two. Uh, so essentially, uh, you have a managing director and a festival director. Now, that created all sorts of problems. It, uh, the festival faced um, a lot of criticism from within the film industry, and the festival has a close relationship. So, if the film industry um, was voicing concerns, and they had to listen, and so subsequently, um, the the festival director had to, uh, rather, the chairman had to do, had to uh, resign, uh, Yong Guan. So. Um, and there were also other issues, and I think uh, there's been a power struggle within the festival, mm. uh, and so it has been it has been challenging, uh, especially for those involved. Uh, but uh, they've managed to kind of, I guess, steady the ship, so to speak. So Nam Dong Chol, he's a festival, uh, he's a kind of the, in charge of programming here, uh, and he's kind of become the de facto kind of uh, uh, leader of the festival. Uh, and uh, he's managed to get things under control and it's operating normally, like I said. Uh, but, you know, Busan Film Festival has not been, uh, I mean, it's been affected by controversy in, in the past. In 2014, of course, there was the, the Seoul Ferry sinking documentary that was screened and the, the local mayor uh, was voiced opposition in, to screen that. And uh, as a result, the festival was audited. Uh, funding was reduced and subsequently the, the festival boycotted the festival and it took years for it to recover mm. uh, and then the pandemic came, and then, then there's this latest controversy which is more kind of internal uh, so it has been a troubling uh, not, not just a few months but a, you know I guess decade in a way for the festival uh, but um, but it's great to be back down here uh, but actually I think the bigger discussion you know perhaps as well is where the industry is right now uh, because uh, films are flopping, you know, during the summer and also during Chuseok Cobweb, you know, starring Song Gang Odar with Kim Ji-yoon was 
it was a big flop over the the Chuseok Thanksgiving period. Mm. And uh, the films here um, from these the streaming giants, and I think there is a discussion. You know, where is the industry right now? Where is it heading? You know, before the pandemic. Uh, you know, in terms of admissions, in terms of numbers of people watching films, how many films, one of the highest in the world. And yet now it's, it's, it's a very different picture. People aren't going to cinema like they, they used to. There's been a shift. Uh, and so I think this comes at a time, not just for questions for the festival, but questions for the industry as a whole. Right, so it's a challenging time for the industry and the festival, but hopefully uh, the festival this year will be able to help lift the mood somewhat. Uh, as I mentioned, the festival opened with Because I Hate Korea. The Korean title is Hangugi Shirasa. The, the title, it doesn't sound particularly uplifting, but it's certainly uh, eye-catching. I understand that you have seen this film, right? I did. Uh, I saw it yesterday. I came in uh, Wednesday evening, afternoon Wednesday evening, uh, and I saw the film yesterday. It's directed by Chang Gunje. Uh, he made a film called Midsummer's Fantasia. Uh, basically, it stars Goa Song. Sadly, she's not here because I think she she uh, she got injured and so she wasn't able to attend the festival. Uh, but, you know, Goa Song is a clear name for anyone following Korean cinema. She was in The Host. Hong Jun is the host and also Snowpiercer. Uh, and uh, she plays the leading role here. She plays this young woman who gets really fed up living in Korea. She she faces this long commute from Incheon into into Gangnam, and she's just not happy. She's not really happy where things are heading for her, and she just wants to get out of the country. There's a lot of things she doesn't like about Korea, and so she basically goes to she moves to New Zealand, uh, and so we we follow her and and the kind of relationships she has in New Zealand, and uh, yeah, I mean it wasn't particularly well received by critics here or the international critics I liked it a bit more than they those did and uh, actually I mean it's got issues I think the scenes in Korea are really strong uh, the scenes in New Zealand less so um, but uh, yeah it's a really uh, compelling portrait of, of Korea uh, and it's an interesting film to open the festival um, and um, uh, it you know it's, it's well acted like I said and uh, it's a shame the scenes in New Zealand don't quite come together as well and the narrative structure of the film is a bit confusing it kind of um, goes back and forth and it's not really clear uh, in the narrative where you, where the characters are in terms of him so I think that's that's an issue for the film but uh, yeah I, I liked it more than others did I was you know I was expecting it to be not particularly good and actually it was not bad at all. Okay, so a film that perhaps hasn't wowed the critics, uh, so perhaps uh, the festival in their eyes has opened uh, with perhaps uh, less of a bang than one might have hoped, but still there are definitely a lot of other films that uh, people can look, look forward to as well. Uh, what else have you seen? Anything, uh, anything that stood out for you over the last uh, couple of days that you've been there? Yeah, I mean, I've seen quite a lot, actually. I saw, I managed to see a bit before, so, but I've, I've had to, uh, I'm embargoed on a lot of the films I've seen. But some of the stuff right. I can talk about, I saw uh, new Hong Sang Su, uh, two new Hong Sang Su films. He's, he's like Korea's most prolific director. He's made 30 films. Um, and uh, I, I watched In Our Day yesterday, uh, that features uh, Kim Min Hee uh, and Gi Ju Bong. Uh, that's, it's just a, it's, it's very kind of quintessential Hong Sang Su. Uh, it follows this, this poet. Uh, and he, he basically badly wants a drink. And, um, yeah, you see him have conversations. And, I mean, that's very, very Hong Sung Su in that you've got these these characters talking about love, talking about life, uh, and just focusing on the ordinary details of life. Um, and then I also saw his other film this afternoon, In Water, which for much of it is actually out of focus. 
Um, and it's a bit of a hard sell, but actually I, I kind of enjoyed it. I think he often questions, you know, what is film? And he gets us to kind of look at film in interesting ways. That's certainly, the tr certainly true for, for that film as mm. well. I mean, it basically follows the filmmaker making a movie um, and it, I think reflects, I mean, the, the leading character, I mean, he does come across as very Hong Sang Su. He's uh, <laughs> writing his book, but basically leaving it to the last minute, doesn't really know, uh, it doesn't have a script together. And that's, that's, you know, that is very, that is Hong Sang Su. Uh, and also in terms of other uh, premieres, I watched Believer 2 uh, last night, which is the sequel to the film directed by Lee Hae Young. Um, and this is a Netflix title, so it's going to drop on Netflix next month. Um, I didn't like that one at all. I thought it was just really convoluted. Uh, Stars Chojung, much like the first film, and Chasen Won, a few other new faces in there as well. Han Yo Ju, who hasn't been, who wasn't in the first film. Uh, it's very grim. It's very violent. It's, uh, but yeah, it's very, very. I mean, it just goes at a ridiculous pace. Uh, it almost feels like a series crammed into you know 110 minutes. Uh, so uh, audience. Uh, audiences can watch that film on Netflix in a few weeks. Um, also saw um, a film called It's Okay, um, which I was really in the mood for. I was a bit tired and uh, it's a really kind of upbeat, kind of crowd pleaser. It follows this dancer. Her mother is killed in a car accident and she's basically left, uh, you know, alone. She hasn't got a father and, uh, uh, and she's at this private school. So she's facing all that kind of competition. Uh, but she she life in a very optimistic way despite her circumstances and so and there are these kind of musical items and it's just it's the um, it's directed by Kim Ye uh, Kim Hae Young and stars Ide uh, and uh, yeah it's just an infectious lead and uh, I really enjoyed that film I can see that you know potentially uh, performing quite well if it ever uh, gets released on a streaming uh, platform um, but yeah there's there's also a lot to see down here in Busan I'm, I'm really keen to catch over the next few days yes and uh, so uh, an interesting selection of films that you've mentioned there but I know there were some other films that you wanted to highlight as well right some uh, which have had their debuts elsewhere and which you have seen though right well some of them I have some of them I haven't okay um, I mean uh, the there's a there's a program that's focusing on uh, Korean-American filmmakers, um, so it's kind of Korean diaspora. Uh, so there's Past Lives, which I haven't seen, which I'm really keen to see. That's Celine Song, um, at, directed by Celine Song, who uh, this film made its premiere in Sundance earlier on this year. It's generating awards, but also screened in Berlin. Um, so there's an opportunity to catch that film here uh, in Busan. In part of that program, there's also Minari and, and many other uh, burning as well and searching. Um, and uh, Poor Things, I really want to see this is the film starring Emma Stone in what potentially could be an Oscar-winning uh, winning performance. I tried to get a ticket, Jang, I took it this morning, and uh, I, I failed. It sold out within seconds. So, uh, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to see that. Uh, it's screened later on the festival, I'm not here. So uh, I'll have to wait until that's probably released earlier on next year. It won the Golden Lion in Venice. Um, and there's, G uh, there's a film called... Um, Dear uh, Jin Lee, uh, which uh, is a Netflix documentary, which I'm quite keen to see. Uh, that's a focus uh, on, on the late singer and uh, it's directed by uh, Jung Yun Sok from Nonfiction Diaries. Uh, I want to catch kind of a whole uh, films and also series as well, Vigilante, uh, Vigilante rather, 
uh, uh, starring Nam Jiyak. This is a Disney series. So um, I'm, I'm hopefully catching that tomorrow morning, or rather tomorrow afternoon. Uh, so that's a great thing about the program. This is that I've been focusing on the discoveries, but I'm also quite um, excited to to watch other things as well. Well, it certainly sounds like a, a, an exciting festival this year once again. Some uh, interesting films. Uh, your line is breaking up, so I think we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, we hope you enjoy the rest of the festival. I'm sure uh, you will. I'm sure you'll have a great time down there. Uh, we'll wrap it up, Jason. Thank you for connecting with us, and uh, we'll catch up with you again next time. Yes, we'll do, and hopefully talk a bit more about Bruce when I get back. Bye. Bye. Truth is, I am Iron Man. <laughs> On Young Korea, this is Bob Layton, co-creator of Iron Man. You are listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. It's time now for our closing segment on a Friday. It's time for next week from Seoul, where we look at what's coming up in the days ahead. And joining me in the studio for that is our staff editor, Richard Larkin. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. Okay. So what's the first thing we should look out for? Well, I briefly mentioned this yesterday, but Hangul Day, the holiday that commemorates the Korean alphabet, will take place on Monday. To celebrate the national holiday, the Ministry of Culture, Sports and Tourism is holding Hangul Week, a series of cultural festivals in which people from all over the world can participate. There are various events around the National Hangul Museum in Seoul's Yongsan district. They include a fashion show and Hangul breakdance, where dancers showcase choreography using Korean letters. Okay. Those will take place on Saturday. There will also be numerous performances until next Tuesday. For more information, you can check out hangulnow.com. And for our listeners who live abroad, Korean cultural centres and branches of the King Sejong Institute in 74 countries will be hosting events. So something to keep an eye out for. Okay, so once again, Monday is a national holiday, Hangul Day. We'll be off then as well. I'll have a bit more on that later. Uh, but in the meantime, what's the next thing we should look out for? Well, I have some big political news. A by-election for the head of Seoul's Gangzo district is scheduled for next Wednesday. There are a total of six candidates looking to become one of Seoul's 25 ward chiefs. But this race is being used as a test for both the ruling People Power Party and the main opposition Democratic Party to see what voter sentiment is like ahead of next year's parliamentary elections. The by-election comes after former district chief Kim Tae-woo was removed from office in May upon receiving a suspended prison sentence for leaking official secrets. He is one of the candidates this time around for the PPP, along with former National Police Agency Deputy Chief Jin Kyo-hoon, who is the DP's candidate. Early voting started on Friday and will be held until Saturday, and then regular voting will take place between 6am and 8pm on Wednesday. Right, so normally a by-election for a local ward would not be such major news, but as you said, this is being seen as a key barometer mm. of public sentiment towards the main parties ahead of the parliamentary election next April. Uh, the party's out in full force to try and win, so it'll be an election that is keenly watched next week. OK, let's look at one more. What's the last thing we should keep an eye out for next week? Well, if you plan on driving in Seoul this weekend, expect a lot of traffic. That's because some roads will be closed due to a couple of events. First is the 2023 Seoul International Fireworks Festival. It is set to be held in Yoido in Yondunpo district from 7.20pm to 8.30pm on Saturday. Over 1 million people are expected to attend to see the fireworks, so the Seoul Metropolitan Police Agency 
will fulfill restrict will fully restrict access to the section between the southern tip of Maple Bridge and the 63 square building to ensure the safety of large crowds. The restriction will last from 2 p.m. to 11 p.m. And then on Sunday, the 2023 Seoul race will take place in downtown Seoul from 8 a.m., so traffic on Sejongdaero will be regulated. The road links Seoul Station and Oljiro, Jongdo and Dongdaemun districts. Okay, we'll leave it there. Thank you for the previews, Richard, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of today's show. Now, Monday is Hangul Day, and to celebrate the national holiday, KBS World Radio has produced a new special called Visit Korea Riding the K-Pop Wave, involving participants of KBS World Radio's 8th Korean Language Speech Contest. We'll be airing that in place of Korea 24 next Monday, so we will be taking a break. We'll be back with a regular show on Tuesday, so we hope you join us again then. In the meantime, we hope our listeners have a wonderful weekend. I've been your host, Kwon Jangwa, and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. Don't even think about checking that message or texting back. Did you know it only takes three seconds after a driver's attention has been diverted from the road for a crash to occur? Texting while driving is six times more likely to cause an accident than driving under the influence of alcohol. Sending or reading a text message causes drivers, on average, to take their eyes off the road for five seconds. When driving at 80 kilometers per hour, that means that drivers travel approximately the length of a football field with their eyes closed. At KBS World Radio, we value our listeners' safety and well-being. If you're listening to our programs while driving via your mobile device, please hit play before you set off on your journey. If you receive a message or a call while driving, either use a hands-free Bluetooth device to respond or wait until you've arrived at your destination. You're not just putting your life at risk. Distracted driving accounts for approximately 25% of all motor vehicle crash fatalities. Arrive alive.